0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, Greyfriars. Um, If we haven't met, my name's Chris. I'm the curate here and... um, if, if I was a little more skeptical, I'd say this is a stitch-up. This is a, uh, an interesting passage to give the curate. Um, if you can hear my voice is a bit nasally, um, I'm feeling a little run down, so if I do sneeze midway through my sermon, just ignore me. Um, but for the time being, um, this is our final uh, session, our final uh, time in Malachi. We've gone through the whole of Malachi. We've read every single word in Malachi. And therefore, you should all be Malachi experts. So I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbours and teach one person, to your left or right, whoever it is, one thing you've learnt during this series in Malachi. You can just pick one thing, but I'm going to give you two minutes to talk to your neighbours about one thing you've learned about Malachi. Brilliant. Okay, I'm going to ask for you to all be very bold and brave. I want hands up, and we're going to have a mic come round, and we're just going to share with the church what we've learned over the past six or seven weeks. So who is feeling brave? Hands up. We've got to have at least three people tell us something they have learned in Malachi. All right, there we go. There's one. Other people can raise their hands in the meantime. Uh, So we were talking about Malachi 3, verse 10, where the Lord Almighty says, test me in this. We were saying how that's very different to when Jesus is in the wilderness. And he says to the devil, uh, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And how it's a different context for each of those uh, statements. And we were just chatting about the detail of that. Excellent. I think you should be doing this, not me. (laughs) All right, another one. We've got another hand over here. All right, so um, at the very beginning, we we find in in Malachi that um, uh, the charge against the people is that they're not revering God's name. He is holy. He is a great king, okay? And the kind of offerings and things that we're giving to God are not acceptable. So if you put it in modern-day context, you know, with the kind of excusable and uh, less than perfect gifts that we would give, would King Charles be acceptable of those gifts as well? And yet God says, I am a great king, exclamation point. I am greater than everybody else. So where is the fear, do my name, and the revere, do my name? And we need to lead the way in doing that. Amazing, yes. I'm doing myself out of a job. Anyone else, one last person, be brave, be bold. One more thing that we've learned. Oh, there's someone right at the back. And ju- oh, hello. Yes, Judgment Day. Yes. Which is very apt, given the passage that we're landing on. Thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause, everyone. <laughs> very good. Very good. I'm always very impressed um, with how much people actually remember um, after all of our sermons. <laughs> um, today we have a particularly interesting passage. We've just listened to things that we are not um, always comfortable about talking about, But I think it is absolutely essential for us to properly understand in order that we understand what our salvation is, what grace is, and also what it means to be part of the people of God. I'm going to kind of tell us the story of what our passage is saying and then uh, give some thoughts on what I think God has in store for us. But let's just first bring ourselves forward in prayer as we come to our scripture. Father God, we thank you that uh, in all things we can trust in you. We know that uh, through um, everything in scripture, we have uh, things to learn, things to uh, be sharpened by, things that we can um, take into our everyday. So Lord God, would you, through your spirit, would you speak to each of our hearts that we may take on your message and that we may understand you more fully, Father God, Even when things are difficult or difficult to understand, we know that we can trust in you, knowing that you hold all things in your hands. Give us understanding today. Amen. So we'll just jump straight in with uh, chapter 3, verse 14. People think that it is futile to follow God. Now, there has been a group that have been arrogant towards God. They've been looking... uh, ...at what kind of materialistic blessings that they have or feel like they should have but they don't have instead. They have equated uh, the idea of righteousness with material blessings and they are blaming God for these things. See, God has and always will be more concerned about the state of your heart than he is about the people's possessions... And so since coming out of um, exile from the Babylonians, the, the Israelite people, they've not yet experienced uh, the abundance that they expected since they returned back to Jerusalem. But instead, they've kind of encountered some hardships, and in turn, that has hardened their hearts. They've looked to God in a transactional arrangement rather than one of relationship. Their concern is not how well they are honouring God, as well as we have seen in the kind of previous chapters, where they're, they're lazy law keeping. But rather, they look around to others and say, "Why do they have more than me? Why is it that I follow God and yet they are blessed? These evildoers, these unrighteous people. They think that because they're not materially blessed, God." well, they, they think because they've not been materially blessed that God does not love them. And that's why in the, the first disputation in Malachi, we see God having to defend his love for his people in spite of the fact that they think they don't lo- they're not loved because they don't have all the things that they think they ought to have. Verse 16, uh, we see that in spite of there being opposition, There are few that have remained faithful to God. And what happens is that God listens to them. Not everyone has that perspective of of materialism over kind of God's love and blessing in in its fullness. There were a group that were uh, faithful to God. They revered him and therefore honored him. And God listened and heard what they had to say. In fact, they were, they were written down on a, on a scroll of remembrance, which, which is something that like a king would do. It's like an honors, um, a commendation um, scroll. Obviously, it's not a literal scroll that's being written here, but they, these people are being revered and honored because they have, in fact, honored God themselves. We see that God is a God that not just sees, but hears the people, hears how they talk about God. He does not ignore their faithfulness, and he does not abandon those whom honor him. And so in in verse 17, God says that it is them that are treasured possessions. He has a deep, deep love for them, like a father has with a son. Here we see the heart of the father. The arrogant group are claiming that there is there's no blessing by being faithful to God, and that there is no such thing as good or bad people because either one is blessed nonetheless. It's like in in chapter 2 when the people say that, oh, there is no God of justice because the unjust go as unpunished as the just. And yet we see in verse 17 that not all people are equal. We, in fact, do have consequences for our lives. God himself treats the faithful ones as treasured possessions. A slight hint of irony, given the fact that the the people that are unfaithful are searching for that treasured possession. And yet, God's treasured possession is the one that has remained faithful to him. The one he loves and cherishes. He shows the love through the imagery of a father receiving um, and, and sparing his wayward son now that the son has returned and serves him. This is a, a great reminder of how the book of Malachi started with the, with the father defending his love for his people after they forget what he has done for them. Those who have not remained faithful, in verse 18, their time and judgment will come. It is not now, but the day of judgment. Where they, will be, where they will understand the error of the ways will come. See, God has to explain that there is a distinction, in fact, that there, there is a distinction between those that remain in God versus those that seek the ways of the world, who say it is futile to follow God. It's important to note, maybe for us as 21st century uh, listeners, but especially in this context, that, that the entirety of this prophetic book is talking directly to God's people. So this isn't, you know, someone out in the streets shouting from the rooftops. This is God in God's house talking to God's people, saying, be faithful. So I want you to hear that. If you're new or if you're visiting, don't, don't feel a, a, a sense of pressure from this sermon There is far more to the Christian faith than just this, but it is important to grasp that as people of faith, as people of God, we contend with this reality that there are consequences for when we are wayward. Yes, there is grace, there is mercy, there is every opportunity to come back to God, but God doesn't mess around He takes these things seriously, and therefore, so should we. It says that God will separate those that are faithful and unfaithful on the day of the Lord. They are wrong to live as if God does not exist or care, as those that are being arrogant are being short-sighted, not realizing the peril they place themselves under. They have a wrong view of God because they continue to focus on this transactional uh, aspect of blessing, not realising that the ultimate blessing is to be found in God as treasured treasured possessions on the day of the Lord. We skip forward a bit to uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Those who have remained faithful to God those that have God, who God has heard, they will, be, they will feel the healing rays of the sun of righteousness, and they will have joy. This is the absolute contrast to those that have stayed unfaithful. They will experience, when they meet God's holiness, the power and love that God has for them. Unlike those that are, remain unfaithful, the, the power and holiness that, that God has... Will ultimately destroy those who do not recognise who he truly is. It is the same. Uh, God, God is holy, and therefore we ought to be holy. We are made holy by the sacrifice made in Christ. And yet, if we do not recognise that holiness, we ultimately uh, put ourselves in the firing line, for we we cannot stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with that same holiness unless we obtain it through Christ's sacrifice. In chapter 2, it speaks of the the refiner's fire, and it shows how what will be left um, will be the faithful. Here we see not only people will be saved, but they will experience the joy of the Lord as they are able to celebrate their salvation. They will have been set apart for, for God in both death and life. And so on the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, it, it is not something for them to mourn or fear, but rather something that gives them hope, knowing that God will give them eternal blessing. It ends, the, the chapter ends in, in chapter 4, to, uh, God asking us, reminding us, remember the covenant and look to my prophet." God reminds the people to remember him, their covenant that he has made with his people. Remembering is core to the identity of God's people. And so God reminds what laws and statutes he has already given to the people in order for them to live. They are to be his people and he is to be their God through the covenant of love. Their obedience to the law is meant as a reflection of their hearts. Which is why their issues around law often reveal a greater problem. As we have seen throughout the book, God, alongside reminding them of the law, gives them the promise of something to come. The prophet Elijah, but not as they would know it. See, Elijah did not die, but instead was taken up on a a chariot of fire and so he was highly anticipated as returning to God's people and yet elijah also represents the repentance of the people the prep, the preparation of the way of the messiah which we actually see to be john the baptist we see that on the on the next page or maybe the one after so what is it that we are to learn from this passage what part do we play in all of this? Why is this even relevant to me now, rather than uh, just applicable to the people there listening? I think it's important for us to not, never forget that we can focus on material blessings. Even when we don't mean to, even when we try and uh, not fall into that same trap, we do kind of live in this world. and so you know, when we read this, when we read this, um, this passage, we can start to empathize with God's people. You may say, oh, but they're a product of their environment, and it's not really their fault. And I'm sure they were traumatized from their time in exile. They were just trying to survive. And much as these feelings and thoughts um, that even I have had from time to time, they they might feel uh, natural, but they don't match up. God has showed his ultimate power during the time of the desert, this this great story of Exodus that every Israelite would know and understand. The time in the desert where the whole of God's people required God to provide, and yet he did in everything that they needed, whether it was food, water, sanctuary. He did it. And even when they encountered hardship, he did not abandon them. Even in their punishment for turning away from God, God never abandons his people. He always yearns for his people to return to him, to return to his heart, so that when they did and when they returned to Jerusalem, his aim was to give them uh, spiritual sustenance that they needed. Now, scholars debate on the timings of Malachi, but it would seem that it would be around uh, either the middle of Nehemiah or just after Nehemiah. His people were reestablishing themselves, and therefore his first concern was not the material possessions of his people, but rather the state of their hearts and their re-establishment of the covenant that, that had been broken for so long. Their hearts were immature and they focused on the things right in front of them rather than the greatness that was to come. God, throughout all of this, throughout this whole book, has an eternal perspective. His rebuttal to the defiant accusations is to remind them of the day that will come. For God, he can see the end just as easily as he sees now. He's able to know the outcomes and the directions, not just of the current reality, but also the reality that is to come. He sees all, knows all, and so reminds us that he's not a God that breaks his word or promises. The things we see God say and yet not necessarily realize, God tells us will be dealt with on the day of the Lord. See, we may live here feeling like... uh, the unjust and the unrighteous, they may prosper and seem blessed, but God promises us that unless people are faithful to him and righteous in his sight through Christ, they will not receive the joy that is to come. To my mind, this is a a helpful reminder um, of who we truly belong to. Paul uh, talks about our citizenship uh, being in heaven our true citizenship being in heaven, which is found in Christ. We abide in Christ and have uh, faith and trust in him. Therefore, we no longer belong to this world, but rather we are foreigners in this present reality because we know that it is not the ultimate reality in which we will inhabit. A world is one in which we are the hands and feet of God, bringing about his purposes, sharing his blessings, and sharing his hope for this world. It is not the end, but rather the start. Even on the, on the day of the Lord, as Malachi puts it, it is still the beginning and not the end. For our lives are made perfect in Christ, and we are Righteous because of who Christ is, and therefore when we are raised to life with him, we will be with him for eternity. That does not mean that this world is meaningless or pointless, but rather it points to that which is greater. We can experience beauty, love, honour, compassion, richness, worth, and joy, all things that are God-given. We can experience those, and yet still understand that there is still something greater than even these things. C.S. Lewis uh, describes this when he speaks of what is to come. He says, uh, but what you ask of earth, I think, Ooh, earth, rather, earth, I think, will not be found by anyone to be, in the end, a very distinct place. I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell an earth if put second to heaven to have only been to have only been from the very beginning part of heaven itself we are to live not searching for the worldly blessings for ourselves but instead we are to live in the knowledge that whatever we experience on earth will pale in comparison of that which is to come. And so what we live for on this earth is to bless others and to honour God. We are to hold things lightly. We are to be generous and compassionate. Paradoxically, the otherworldliness that we are to inhabit guarantees us proper engagement with the world itself. That's one thing to remember. Our citizenship is in heaven and not of this earth, so do not be tempted by the things of this world. Do not look to the material blessings that might tempt you and say, God loves me because I have this. He loves you for who you are, and he can, is only concerned with your heart. My second point that I wanna draw out is, are we being those who God listens in on? We see God turning away from the people that have turned away from him earlier in the book. He says, I actually don't hear your prayers anymore because you don't even respect and honor me in the way that you are meant to. But here we see the faithful being listened to by God. It's like God has his ear up against the wall smiling as he hears his uh, the faith amongst his people our relationship with our heavenly father delights him and when we remain faithful to him we come close to him i love the idea that god is listening in on our church services or on our home groups our alpha courses our chats with friends and family i love the idea that god cares it is such an intimate relationship that we have with our Father because he is someone who is faithful to us. And so I guess in this little section, our, our challenge is, do we always live like that? Do we always live like God is listening in? Are our conversations uh, things that reflect honour of God? Who, who, do we embody faithful living as we talk amongst our friends and our family? Is God listening into our conversations and being honoured? Or are we forgetting him? Losing him in the busyness of everything and thus losing parts of ourselves in the process? And lastly, my last point is to remember the Lord. Now, I believe I have a picture. Okay, who can't see that? Okay, cool. Everyone can vaguely see that. Um, when you look at that, don't you think, how big is that baby's head? Um, no. I, uh, it, could anyone tell me uh, what they think that picture is? You could have a wild guess. It is a, a modern-day depiction of a saint, if, any, if anyone needs a hint. It is St. Christopher. Very good, very good. The reason that I bring up St. Christopher is that um, I don't know if everyone's aware of the story of St. Christopher. Um, it, oh, Christopher's my name, by the way, um, and therefore I, I have great affinity. I look like that sometimes. Um, St. <laughs> Christopher uh, is it, it, a bit of a legendary, mythical story. However, I'll, I'll say it nonetheless. Um, he was meant to be a giant in the, in the fourth or fifth century, um, and he wanted to devote his life to Christ after learning that he was king above all kings, uh, from some hermit that, um, that was telling him about, about Jesus. And he couldn't do all the things that the hermit did, but the thing that he could do is he could serve the people he was around by carrying them across a deep and dangerous water, a river. And so one day, um, there was a small child um, that asked to cross the river, and naturally being a, a giant, I think he was something like eight foot, and had a back that looked like that, he um, didn't think anything of it, and yet as he grew, as he went deeper into the water, he, he, he calls and says, um, I believe the whole weight of the world was on my shoulders, and It transpires that after passing over the water, that this was meant to be Christ himself meeting with uh, Christopher, saying that the work you're doing is in honour of me. The reason that I'm bringing this up is not because I want everyone to start honouring God by carrying babies across water, but more to the point that that image, it stays with me, Okay, yeah, my name is Christopher. My name means Christ bearer. But we are all Christ bearers. And the reason I bring it up is this Christmas, you know, today is Advent amongst all the other things that are going on. Today is the first day of Advent. And as I was preparing this sermon, as I was looking to this text, all I could think of was this idea that the the Israelites had taken their eyes off of what was truly meaningful. And that's why they turned to materialism, and that's why they lost faith, and that's why all these things have happened. And I think Christmas is such an interesting time for Christians, because it is finally an opportunity for us to talk freely about Jesus, and yet we can so easily dilute what is going on because we are concerned with what is the world is doing, the materialism that is going on. the, the the traditions that aren't actually traditions. The, the hiding away from singing those really interesting parts in the carol services. I want us, uh, around Easter, we will all be reminded um, that we are to bear our cross just as Christ bore his cross. But I want us to think about, as we reflect on, on Malachi, as we close uh, the book of Malachi, this Christmas, what, is it, what does it look like to bear Christ? What would it look like if we actually felt we were walking around baby in arm? The, the, the thing that was, that was prophesied, the hope of the world, the thing at the very end, um, which can cause many people to feel uncomfortable, is embodied in this child, this baby this thing so sweet, so innocent, so vulnerable? Do we bear Christ during Christmas or do we follow along in the tides of what the world seems to make uh, important about Christmas? I think if we bore Christ in all that we do, we'd find God listens, God hears us, and I think if we bore Christ we'd, it wouldn't be hard for us to remember our citizenship is in heaven. Many of you here will be parents, I'm sure, or at least have held a child in your life. You know what it is to just hold a baby as they're kind of half on a hip. Imagine that this Christmas, that every interaction, every song we sing, every invite we give is is for this baby child, who comes to bring hope to the world, who brings salvation, who brings a promise to those that are faithful, that you will not experience these hardships, these these really horrible things that we, we can hear about, but rather we will experience joy on the day of the Lord. how are we going to remember Christ and what he came to do? How are we as the church going to live as citizens of heaven, knowing our blessings will be realized on the day of the Lord? How will the Holy Spirit move in you that you may not look like everyone else, do as everyone else does, but rather be that faithful servant whom God listens in on, And brings people to know him in great measure so that they too may understand the glorious hope of eternal life in him. Let us pray.